0: This idea of strength, this idea of might means that our worship um, becomes tangible. The, people can see it, it's, it's, it's the physical reality of it, so it's the, time, it's the connection from God has really moved in my life, I see him, and this means in this moment, heaven forbid, I need to, I need to do this, because I need to tell God, or or... Maybe maybe more often, and, and I've done this a few times. When was the last time you were on your knees at the side of your bed in prayer? It causes us to do that. And also, it can be running along the street and out for a jog and seeing the sunset and grasping that God is in control of all this. And just And as we're running along, we're saying a prayer. It can be putting your arm around somebody. It can be shutting up when you really need to shut up in the middle of an argument. It is the tangible expression of worship. Our hearts are moved, and it goes out and out and out and out. And that's what strength is. As I, as I, as I read through this, some of, my, some of my college training kicked in, which is it's good that that happens, every, at least every now and again. And I remember this key word. I remember this keyword context. And sometimes uh, these Bible passages that we read The context that they are delivered in is way different from the one that we absorb them in, isn't it? Today's world, that's wrong, today's world in the UK, in the West, in parts of the West, is pretty individualistic. That's tricky to say, with dry lips, individualistic. There's this this kind of narrow focus. Have you noticed that the, the, the way that the world is a little bit individualistic? Have you, have you have you seen that when you um, there was a t- I guess other cultures will eat their meals and there's like co- the the eating community and I guess I guess it's just getting harder and harder isn't it for us to to do anything like that together we don't even we don't even sit around the table together as families that much anymore it's possible there is so much opportunity to be an individual that you can go to macd's without talking to anybody or having or you got to talk to one person but you can do that without having to look at them and you can order a, a, a meal that is specific to your requirements without having any real concept of where that food comes from and then just drive off. And, our, and more and more avenues of our world are heading this way, really. There's kind of this, this opportunity to be individualistic. Everything's kind of tailored for us. How do you get your news now? Our world used to receive news via, via a town crier. I think I would love a town crier. I love the idea that some guy comes into the middle of the town, rings a bell and shouts this is what's happening and everybody absorbs it together that's back in the day or the day before the day that is how we used to receive our news and m- more recently I guess there's this battle you'd you'd um sit around the, the 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 tv with your family and consume the the evening news wouldn't you that that's kind of what you do and more recently we kind of get everything that we see on our phones don't we shall I stick with this mic yeah, stick with this mate. There's no batteries left. You get everything we 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 need our news-wise from our phones. You can kind of you can kind of pick which paper you want to get. You can you can flick the news off if you don't want to watch it. But the way I get my news is on my Twitter feed. And I used to do you get this? So what kind of what I've resolved to do is and I think some of us do this. I I kind of basically Pick my favourite people to digest the news for me, and then filter it back to me with a humorous edge. Do you know what I mean? So I've got people like David Badil and Nick Frost, and people like that. Who, and that's how I get my news. I'm with Reuters, and I've got the BBC app as well. But it's kind of like my choice. It's almost like I'm just I'm, I'm choosing the good news. And and this is the this is the way that we're allowed to because there's so much opportunity to, to to view the world through this individualistic lens and that that affects everything it affects how we read the Bible you open up the Bible now often we're on our on our own and we're we're flicking through the bible passages and we've maybe even got an app on our phone that kind of sends us verses that are kind of nice encouraging don't ask too much from us do you know what I mean those sort of verses and we can sort of soak that in individualistically so when we come to a verse that we've hovered over, love the Lord your God with all your strength, remember last week, the story of Job, it becomes, it becomes something that we can internalize. It becomes something that we say, all right, I need to, I need to do something about this inside. Strength is this kind of inner resolve that I need to find. And like I said at the start of the talk, I remembered the word context I remembered, I remembered trying to think through just how the initial people received this message. Deuteronomy six, Deuteronomy actually, is basically three sermons that Moses tells, three big sermons, and where the whole nation gather together, like in the desert, sweaty, communally, and he says, and we get the clue is in the start of the talk: "Hear, O Israel." The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He addresses the whole nation, and the people receive this message as a community. It it changes the idea of strength and what strength is changes when you receive it as a community. Because when we're in community, it's a bit different. And now, whilst we live in a more individualistic world, there's still glimpses of community out there. Um, I'm desperate to go to Glastonbury. Jude's in there, I, she's ruled it out. She said, we're not going. And I'm like, no, let's go and let's take the kids. I'm, I'm desperate to go to Glastonbury. I love it. And although I, I, I do struggle when I'm at gigs, the first five songs for me are really difficult because what, what you find is that you're in, you're in really close proximity to other people, aren't you? Do you know what I mean? Somebody will come. And, and this, is, this, is, this is community. This is what it means. to. And it's an extreme example, but it, it'll, it'll um, help you to understand where I'm going with this. Somebody will come up and stand right next to you. And, uh, and, I, and I can't even think about the songs because I'm so aware of this person's leg, do you know what I mean, just brushing against the bottom of my calf. And I'm, inside I'm going, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to him, do you realize what's happening here where our legs are brushing in this moment? This isn't, this is really awkward for me. Do you know what I mean? But then after about five songs, because what happens in community is you kind of morph into one. You become one voice. So, and I'm, I struggle with that uh, personal space and invasions and stuff like that. If you get a hug off me, it's an awkward sideways. It's an awkward sideways hug. And that means I love you with all of my heart, if you ever, if you ever get that. But, but after five songs, I'm there, and I realise, I get, oh yeah, okay, this is what community is. Community is one voice. In some respects, in, the, in these respects. And there's other things that happen as well. When... Um, when, when the guy comes on at the start, and this is this is just worth thinking about, just how how different it is when the guy comes on at the start and he shouts "Good evening, Manchester." Do you know you get that "Good evening, Manchester"? And What do you do? It's really weird because you just you would not do this ever in ordinary life. You all go "Yes, yes," that's what you say. Can you imagine take yourself out of community, put yourself back in the normal world? Somebody comes up to you and goes "Hi, Ash." Are you from, you from Leeds? You go, yes, brilliant, yes, I am from Leeds. And, and then he says something like, and they also say, say this at gigs. You say, how's it going, Manchester? You can you imagine him saying, how's it going, Ash? And I go, yes, brilliant, wow, because that's what you do, is it? At gigs, you kind of you want to buy into the idea of community. So you buy into the big thing, and the big thing is we're here to have a good time and enjoy the band, and if that means whooping everything then we're going to whoop everything. And you think as one body. So when, and this is a bit of a jump, this might not be how you normally perceive stories in Deuteronomy, but the people that are gathered to hear Moses preach are are more like that, more like the Glastonbury crowd than they are perhaps like us reading this message on our phone. They answer as one people. So this concept of strength that they have is not perhaps that same concept concept that we have they think immediately of strength and they remember they look across at the person next to them dripping with sweat they see their kids they see their weakness they see all all the aspects of their life and they see the answer as community because 40 years before deuteronomy 6 they'd exited egypt as a nation as one people that helped each other exit They'd picked up each other's bags. They'd carried each other's burdens. There's other passages if you read through Exodus that are really interesting. When the people cry when there was no food, they cry. and we don't, we don't do this. Somebody cries in our Western culture, somebody, a good person will come and put their arm around them. But generally we think they want to be on their own in this moment. In, in, in this culture, it says that they all cried as one in the night. Can you imagine that? horrible, would drive me mad. But that's what these people did. They cried as one. And when Moses brought the idea that there was sin in their lives in front of them, they wept and mourned and worshipped as one. So when Moses commands them in Deuteronomy 6 to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, they think people. So I couldn't stay with the story of Job, which I really wanted to, last week because I was loving the story of Job but I wanted to talk to us a little bit about the fact that when we're called to strength when we're called to worship we do it together we do it as a community and it changes things doesn't it when you when you think about your strength in terms of we not me it changes how you look around at people and when you when you're in a footy team and and you're thinking as a team all of a sudden you realize that you're as strong as your weakest player and and you realize that what you've got to do to be strong as a team is is lift up is get behind your weakest player build them up train them up get them better or swap them for somebody who's going to be better you've got to do that sort of thing and when you see a player that's really good you think this guy's not really a rival anymore. This is a teammate that I need to maximize. We think differently as a team. And this idea of, of worship and strength changes how we should look at each other. Changes perhaps what church is. We might want to ignore this sermon, actually. We might want to go home and absorb the Bible on our, on our app that sends us encouraging verses and think about strength has been something that we can go away and work on but actually this call to strength is a call to community is a call to loving each other and the passage that we're going to look at and I am going to get there maybe you can pop it up on the screen will endorse all this and it will say look as we do this as we love each other as we are united as we are connected together then in doing that At the end of the text, and if you've got your phones or your Bibles in front of us, you can skip ahead, and you'll see that in doing that, we raise up Christ. In being united, we raise up Christ, and He is glorified, and we worship, and that is strength. So, why why look at Ephesians? um, And there's, there's loads of Paul's letters. In fact, most of Paul's letters, at least at some point in them, have acknowledged the fact that people aren't getting on. People aren't united. Not Ephesians, actually, interestingly enough, which is where we're headed. But most of Paul's letters start with that. And it's true, isn't it? This is a problem. We, 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 We get that we're supposed to get on, and we don't. And Paul highlights here in this passage that getting on is a key way to glorify God key way for us to do it the church in unity brings glory to god let's take a bit of it in as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace And I love how he labors over this. I think he's quoting something else, but he just, it feels to me like he's slowing down. He wants us to observe this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord. trying to emphasize the one as much as I can with my deep voice. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all, and you get the impression just from a quick reading of that, Paul, Paul's almost saying you really ought to get, you really ought to be doing this. See all this stuff. You know all this stuff. You know you know about all this stuff. You you really ought to have this. It's like that moment. Um, I I find myself here often as a parent when I'm telling my kids, please stop scratching each other's eyes. Please please refrain from punching each other. Please do that. Please because we are a family, we, we love each other, we are together, we are united, we live under the same, and I end up, you go, I go really slow through these points, I feel like I really need to labor this, and what I want to say to him is, you really ought to get this already, but I'm going to spell it out for you, and I'm going to work slowly through it, we are united, so don't punch each other in the face, it's not kind to do that, and, and Paul's kind of doing that, he's kind of slowly spelling out, look, you really, this should just happen, really? Ephesians, I see the other churches at Corinth and, and round about this, but they're not getting it right, and I'm worried for you, but it really should happen. But just because you're human, and it's it's good that Paul does this for us, Paul says, I'm, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what that might look like. So he puts a few words that I think because we're human, we have to go, all right, okay, so it looks like that. We benefit from that, don't we? When we're trying to make a recipe or something, trying to cook something up at home and you get a picture of it, it's like, okay, I see that. I see it's supposed to look like a sumptuous chicken you know and and I can I'm reading what I'm supposed to be doing I'm worried that we're not going to end up there but at least I can see where I'm heading. and Paul gives them some clues he says be humble and gentle and patient and when we read those traits you think Ash we're talking about strength these aren't these aren't strong traits I'm not sure I want to listen to you anymore I feel like I don't want to I don't want to be any more humble I don't want to be any more gentle. I'm not sure that's going to help if I'm more patient. How's that going to to help the church? These words, I think, are difficult to get our heads around. They're a little bit lost in translation. The root word at the back of the concept of some of these words is this word called meekness. And when we think of meekness, we think, I don't want to head towards meekness. We think of somebody who Somebody who doesn't have anything and therefore doesn't make a lot of noise. Somebody, who, you know, somebody who's not got a lot going for them and therefore keeps quiet. That's, that's what somebody who, who is meek is like. But the idea of meekness, we've really got this wrong. Meekness is strength under control. In, in ancient times, you would describe kings of Persia as meek. That's how they wanted to be described. They were meek kings. And it wasn't because they didn't have anything. It was because they were able to control their strength. There's this idea that you can forego your rights with meekness. I am entitled to this. I am entitled to it, but I'm going to be willing to forego it. And so we read through these list of traits, humbleness, gentleness, and patience. These are not soft traits. These require... Huge strength And I think it's really interesting what Paul does. See, we end up with this picture of Christ being glorified, and this body that works in perfect unity, this whole perfect pattern, but foundationally, the places he starts from, and I think it's the same in any church, any church where God is glorified, things are running smoothly, will be have at its heart people who are patient and gentle and kind and they are traits that we overlook and we think how do we get the church big how do we get it running smoothly and Paul says here here's how you do it and actually if you're patient loving and meek and kind with your eyes on Christ with a heart for his people then these actions become worshipful this becomes worship letting something go And this is the thing, isn't it, with this stuff? Letting something go, it doesn't make any noise down here. Even Christians aren't going to bother to see it. Being patient with somebody, even the best Christians aren't going to praise you for that. But seeing heaven, that makes a lot of noise. That is beautiful sounds in heaven. God is glorified as that happens. We begin to worship God when we do these things. Verse 2, I think it's verse 2, maybe it's verse 1. It's verse 1. Paul reminded us at the start of what worship was. He says, worship is giving something it's worth. And we read through these list of traits and we think, I'm not sure there's worship in here. Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Urge. Uh, My little notes tell me it's not nearly a strong enough word for what Paul's wanting. Paul says, You've got to do this. If you want to worship Christ, if you want your church to function, if you want to become united, these traits are paramount. It's not anything anybody's going to tell you to do, it's not anything you're going to think is a great thing. But this is so important. I want to ram this home to you. Paul's saying, Listen to this patience, humility, and kindness builds up the body. Just as a little aside for a second. I don't know if you ever have this. So this, this next little passage here, I don't know if you could skip on to the next bit. This next little passage cast some difficult... In fact, we'll read it out. Look, Because it's, it's, it's difficult, I had to read it through about four or five times to, get, to begin to get your head around it. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And you go, right, I've got it, Ash. I'm ahead of you. I know what that means. It's difficult to kind of get your head around, isn't it? Paul is describing how the church works, the engine of the church. That's that's what that is. So we'll explain it and we'll get to it. But it's something that people really struggle with, I think. So since I've been in this job, a lot of my, it's been a, being an assistant pastor is a great conversation starter if you want to talk to people about God. But what you find is after about 20 minutes, people are scratching their heads because how church works is, is a difficult to concept to get your head around. Eventually, they'll sort of say something like, or they'll say something that reveals that behind what they're about to say is, how, how on earth does church carry on? How does it? You start to describe things like calling, and I try and explain that the church pays me and Jude to do what we do. And and people can't grasp this. And I try and you you kind of explain over a long period of time, and I often get to a point where I've got to say, I think God, God just does it. God, God just does this. So here's Paul's explanation, and it's worth just going down the road the road a little bit of the story. There's a picture of a victorious king so there's been a big battle the king goes in he wins the battle and he and in in these times when you win the battle you get the spoils I think there's another word for it but this idea that you go home and and he pays you a tribute you get the tribute so you get all that and the king comes back and he says look we've won the battle and he hands it out to all his people and naturally, you've seen this on the, on television a little bit, uh, wars knocking around the Middle East, and that people, after victory, they come back and they share their spoils. You know, they share the spoils of victory. And Paul likens this to what happens when Jesus goes through the battle of sin and death. He says it's like this. Christ went into the lowest place place that you could ever go battled sin and death on the cross ascended up into heaven and then by the power of his holy spirit showered gifts back to the people so these gifts that we have and and there's a few listed in there i think they might be up on the screen teachers leaders pioneers prophets love and so there's it's not an exhaustive list this list in ephesians this you read through paul's letters it covers the list of a few of them love joy peace patience kindness Encouragement, giving, caring, organizing, hospitality, the list goes on and on. This this list of gifts is the bounty that Christ won when he died for us. He showers it on his people. And here's the thing with gifts. And you, and you can kind of have this picture of 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 the nation celebrating with, with the tributes from the other you know, lording it, saying, Yeah, we won the battle. There's a a real temptation with our gifts that we just don't use them right. God has blessed us with gifts. Maybe you say to me, "Ash, I've never thought about gift. I'm pretty sure I haven't got one. I've had a good look. I mean, I wish there was one, but I'm pretty sure I don't have one." God has blessed us with gift, and and the killer point comes towards the end, the next little part of the text, because the temptation is for us just to harbour these gifts. Or, or to ignore them or not to do anything with them. But the point of these gifts is that we give them back so that the church is equipped and built up. The temptation that we that we mess up our gifts is massive. It's huge. We just we just dismiss it. We don't use it or we take great pride in it. We abuse it and we just kind of of enjoy the acclaim of personal glory, these gifts that God has died for and showered upon his people are for the building up of his church. They exist so that we give them back. And when we give them back, and this takes all of our strength and all of our might, then we begin to worship God. Paul Paul leaves us with one picture, so we'll, we'll sort of wrap it up in this picture. And I guess it runs right the way through the text and and, and at the start has has hopefully put our minds there. We've been thinking about this body. And Paul Paul focuses our attention to this body and he keeps putting the idea in the text so that we're thinking about our body. And he says, I want you to think of this like the church. I want you to marvel at at the body and and, and see its different um, limbs and ligaments and, and marvel at the fact that the church works in a similar way to this. And it's... It's true, isn't it, how we, even though we're so advanced um, scientifically, our doctors are so smart, we know so much about the body, it's still a marvel to us, isn't it? We still we still look at it and just go, that's amazing. Have you been watching Wimbledon? I, I enjoy, you've been watching Wimbledon, I enjoy a, a super slow-mo like nothing else. Have you seen the super slow-mos that they do after, the, after they make the tennis shots? Andy Murray did one the other week and... You can see, like, every single... Well, not not everything, but every sing- almost every single element of the body working together to make these shots. So somebody put a drop shot on Andy Murray, and Andy Murray's at the back of the court, and he's running, and he's got, like... Tennis players have got muscles in their arms. Have you seen them? Like, three or four m- muscles. I've been, like, worked my whole life to get a six-pack. Never happened, but I didn't realise you could have muscles in your arms, and you see Andy Murray's muscles in his arms working, and then... The way that his knees almost seem to run into the ground, and even etched across his face, is the effort to get to this ball, and and then the grunt, the noise at the end, like like that's going to help, but maybe it does help. You know, every single ounce of energy and effort, every last drop goes into it, making the body work, and it's re- it's been really helpful for me to see. And Paul says, church is like this. Paul says for church to work, it needs every last bit of diverse limb and ligament to work. It says all the members in it need to work. Then you have something that is strong. There's a, a grave error that I think the church has made. And when I say that, I don't mean this church. I mean the capital C, big church. that we mistake unity with uniformity, that we end up with the best will in the world, creating Christians that we want to see. We end up making people that, you know, we have a certain way to worship, we try and dress you in a certain way, we try and get you to think in a certain, maybe even middle-classy way, we do all this stuff. And in doing this, we kind of kill off the diversity of the church, And what Paul's saying here is we need the diversity of the church. He says more than that. He says God made the church this way. He made it to be different in order that it moves, in order that it works. Paul says in, elsewhere in his Bible, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted Them to be. You are truly blessed as a, as a church, that there's only, and we should praise God. There's only one. There's only one of me. It's good that there are not. It'd be awful. It would be horrific if there were two or three me's that you had to put it with. I think I think it's good that there's one. Same with Paul. We are so privileged to have Paul. But if there were if there were two or three of him, and two or three of me, I don't think there'd be anybody. You wouldn't come. I don't think you would come. We just it'd be a monopoly. We are we are so blessed to have difference in this church, and it is so essential. It makes us so strong. And and sometimes I'll kick back and look in the service, and I'm I'll see I'll see somebody put their arm around somebody else, and that's worshipful. And I'll and I'll think, man, I would never have done that. And I'll think, oh, it's so good that we've got that diversity. And then I'll hear the band playing and. And, and somebody singing beautifully and I'll just think oh, thank, thank God that we have that and I'll see somebody willing to serve and somebody willing to clean somebody willing to listen and I'll think I would not have listened that well and I think praise God that we are diverse and we should not it would be a horrific error of us to try and make and I guess this is the realisation as I, as I think about the body and as I think about us working with great strength part of my job our job as a leadership team it would be wrong of us if we spent our time creating christians that we liked that is the temptation for me and paul our job is to help show you the person that god created you to be is to help you find the gift that god has embedded in you that he would be glorified that this diverse body would move with great strength. The last challenge. Becoming the person that God made you to be. Um, There's this, I I use this phrase all the time, but my favorite story, I feel like I say that every single time I come on the platform, but it's a good book, the Bible. It's good to have lots of favorite stories in it, isn't it? It's in Exodus 4, and God has approached Moses And he said, I want you to be the person that goes and stands before Pharaoh to get my people out of here. And Pharaoh and Moses says, Well, he says, I can't speak, Lord, but I think in the back of his mind he's thinking, Well, I've murdered somebody. I'm not all that as a person. I've been out in the desert for years. I don't I'm not sure I'm the right man. And God says to him, and this is the this is your take-home phrase, forget everything else, take this phrase home. God says to him, What have you got in your hand? What have you got in your hand? Moses says, well, he doesn't say. He realizes he's got a staff. And and God says to him, go before Pharaoh, present him with his staff. It'll turn into a snake. And then everybody there will begin to see that I am God. And a matter of weeks, maybe a few months later, Moses, this man who couldn't really speak, had murdered somebody, didn't really think that much of himself, walks out of Egypt with the nation behind him because he used what he had. his hand so the challenge for us as we think about worship as we think about loving the Lord our God with all our strength and all our might is what has God put in your hand that you might need to give back that God will be glorified